Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you all. Wow, yeah. It's always Jeff. <laughs> the most enthusiastic. I like it. All right, uh, let me begin by reading our passage for today. Uh, we are in Galatians chapter 5, and I'm going to read verses 16 through 25. 26. 16 through 26. Uh, this is God's word, Galatians chapter 5, 16 through 26. If you have your Bible, uh, turn along with me and read along with me. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But... If you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. This is God's word. Let's pray. Uh, dear Lord, I pray that your Spirit would be illuminating your word, um, that you would be bringing us into a place uh, where we can be receptive to what you would say to us, uh, that we would see the beauty and goodness of the lives uh, and fruit and character you are producing in us and that we would be able to walk with you in everything we do. Um, so I pray, Lord, that this would empower us, encourage us, equip us to live lives of love. In Jesus' name, amen. Alrighty. So, uh, the last couple of weeks... Uh, uh, no, no slides, yeah. So, uh, last week we talked about what it looks like to be a good friend, right? And I asked you guys a question, what are some qualities that you would look for in a friend? Uh, Uncle Chris said, uh, what was it, trustworthiness? Yeah, that, so trustworthiness. You want a friend who is dependable. Um, you know, they, they have that phrase, a fair weather friend, right? When things are going well, your friend is always like coming over. It's like, oh, you, you got some like, you got some yummy sushi for dinner, and like all of a sudden they're there. But then the next day you're eating uh, oatmeal or something, and your friend's not there for some reason. No, or like your life is going well, everything is great with you, and they're there. But then when things are really hard, when things are difficult, where did they go? It is so important uh, to be faithful. Uh, and then we also talked about love. Paul gives us an incredibly challenging but good definition and exhortation to love people through service, right? Where love in the real world is very different than love in fantasy, right? Uh, in fantasies, everything is always good. You have no conflicts. Uh, in the real world, love is painful and costly. It's great, like not all the time, but often you'll find yourself um, having real struggles with the other person who you love and what's really incredible is the more you love someone, you could almost say the more you experience conflict. The closer you are to someone, often the more you can experience conflict with them. Because it, when we're like on our best behavior, uh, when we don't really know the person, uh, we have our shields up, right? So this is the difference between going on a date with someone, trying to make a really good impression, and a married couple. Who fights more, a couple on a date, or a married couple that's been married together for 25 years? The married couple, right? Why is that? 
It's because you have history. It's because you really, really care about the person and you are so close that you naturally, like, you naturally irritate each other. It's just the way things are. And so what Jesus says and what Christianity is all about is faith working through love and love expressing itself through tangible acts of service. And so if you want to be a good friend, uh, we, we were talking about uh, love through service as this incredible objective or goal that we have in our Christian lives. Uh, as we know God, uh, we will have this changed perspective on life where life is no longer about, if you look at verse 15, biting and devouring one another, using other people to meet your needs and desires. It's no longer about that. It's about loving your neighbor as yourself. And that's a really challenging formulation because what we do just absolutely naturally and intuitively is we take care of ourselves and our own needs, right? We love ourselves. Um, some people say, oh, you have to, what, what love your neighbor as yourself means is you have to learn to love yourself before you love other people. And I think what Jesus is saying is almost the exact opposite of that, where he's saying your gut, your natural course is to love yourself and care about yourself. Every single day you wake up, you wash yourself, you brush your teeth, hopefully. You, <laughs> you, you take care of yourself, you eat breakfast, you do what you like, you get what you want, and you are driven by your desire to take care of yourself. There are obviously, um, what do you call it, like uh, exceptions to that, but that's the main assumption that Jesus is working with. And then he says, in my kingdom, you express and manifest self-giving love for the people around you through service, and, and the same concern, the same creativity and energy that you use to care for yourself, uh, you do that for other people. Um, and so, right off the bat, many of you thinking to yourself, how? This feels impossible. And today, we're going to talk about how you develop this capacity, um, how you grow in your relationships. Uh, and last time, I mean, I gave you a lot of examples about how I'm like a relational dummy. I honestly believe this, but at the same time, what I would also say is, I hope that you can see the ways that I've grown less of a dummy. And it's through the work of God in my life, I really believe it. It's through having my entire philosophy of life transformed by God and scripture, where I, I went away from uh, being completely self-oriented and self-protective, where I, I, I share this with you guys before. It's like when I was young, I hated, pe I, um, people are difficult. People, went, so it was very philosophical. Um, the way I described it was, for every person that you love, you are multiplying the suffering you will experience in life. You get me? Because I hurt all the time, you know, struggling with depression, different things. When I hurt, I hurt. When I choose to love that person too, when I hurt, I hurt. When they hurt, I hurt. You get it? And so for every person that you choose to love, there is an incredible risk of pain and rejection and suffering. And yet, is that a good way to live? Where you isolate yourself, where you cut off relationships because you're afraid of the potential harm. Uh, if you do that, you'll experience a different kind of pain, the pain of loneliness and selfishness. And so you are stuck between two very difficult options. What they have in common is you will experience pain no matter what. You'll experience pain no matter what, and then you have to think about it, which one would you prefer? Um, and so over time, I have come to be convinced that Jesus's way and his life orientation is way better than the way that I was thinking about. I thought I could minimize pain by cutting off relationships, but that actually leads to a shriveled life where I miss out on all of the richness of relationships, of experiencing real love for people, of having them love me, of deep relationships, and it's way better to do it Jesus's way. But how do you get there? So uh, you get there, we're gonna talk about that today. 
I have a few points. Number one, how do you grow? You grow through a fight or a struggle, okay? You grow through a fight or a struggle. And if you don't understand this, uh, you will be extremely disillusioned and confused when you become a Christian and all the things that Daniel said about peace beyond all understanding and you experience the love of God and all these things. If you don't understand this, you will be cynical and disillusioned. But this is reality, okay? And that doesn't mean you don't experience peace beyond understanding, joy unspeakable and full of glory. But at the same time, there is necessarily suffering and a struggle, and we're going to describe what that struggle is. Number two, we're going to see how, uh, how, wait, sorry, number one, how do you grow through a struggle? Number two, the fight produces fruit, okay? As you struggle, and in the context of this struggle, um, there will be fruit as you engage in this fight. But the problem is, if you don't engage in the fight, uh, you don't have a choice. Like, you can't be neutral. You will either engage in the fight, and you will bear fruit, or you will lose the fight. And we'll talk about what that means. And then finally, um, the third point, and this is the most important point, the Spirit creates Christ-like people. The Spirit creates Christ-like people. Okay? So let's start off by looking at our passage here. Um, last week... We concluded the section by saying, if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. And so this is law of the jungle. In the world, um, it, if you were to look objectively and empirically about, how the, uh, about the way that many people treat each other, I think that's a pretty fair description of reality. People are in competition, there are scarce resources, and most people are biting and devouring, where you say, it, maybe I don't want to hurt this person, but I have no choice. I'm a lion, they're a gazelle, I got to eat. So, bite and devour. That's the image that Paul is using. And that is in stark contrast to this life of love that Jesus both talked about, but more importantly, modeled. And then he says this, how do you avoid, how do you avoid having this attitude or self-centered mentality where you use people until they are no longer useful for you, and then you discard them? He says this, walk by the Spirit. Now, when we say walk by the Spirit, right off the bat, uh, this is like Christian jargon. It's kind of confusing. Um, you're not really sure what Paul is picturing when he says walk by the Spirit. And so um, I wanna uh, unpack that a little bit briefly so that we can get a better understanding of what it means to walk by the Spirit. Number one, he uses the image of walking, and that's significant. Uh, number two, the grammar, yeah, you're, you're getting a grammar lesson. The, the grammar, it, walking is a continuous thing. Do you understand me? It, he doesn't say, finish walking by the Spirit, and then you're done. He says, continue to walk by the Spirit. And so, the image of walking and the continuous nature of the grammar give us a picture of what this looked like. Walking is completely ordinary and mundane. So if you were in this culture, you would walk everywhere. You didn't have robo-taxis. You didn't have self-driving cars. You didn't have planes. Maybe you could ride on a donkey, but like you, for the vast majority of your life, you will walk everywhere. And when you're walking between cities, it's miles long in the Near East heat, right? So you're walking, and the only way to walk is one step at a time, right? If you try to skip ahead, if you try to walk, you, you, there are no shortcuts in walking. That's what I'm basically trying to say, right? So what does it mean to walk by the Spirit? He is not saying, and he's not envisioning, though you could argue this, some people translate this and say, keep in step with the Spirit. So in that image, there's an idea, because the word for walk could also mean like marching, marching orders, uh, soldiers walk together. And so maybe it's like, oh, I'm marching, and the spirit is next to me, or the spirit is in front of me leading me, and we walk together. And that, that is getting closer to what I think this phrase means. 
Um, but what we're going to see is walking by the Spirit here means something very specific. Um, there are two tracks in the struggle that you can take, and to walk by the Spirit kind of means walk through the means of the Spirit. You, you get, and, and we'll talk about what that means. So first of all, let's look at this struggle. Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Okay, more jargon. This, this, this is technical language that Paul uses, and we'll talk about what the flesh is. Let, let's talk about what the flesh is not. The flesh does not mean physical body. So many people, when they picture Christianity, they think Christianity is against bodily stuff. There's the spiritual stuff that's kind of like ephemeral and, you know, like, oh, it's, it's this kind of vague, you know, spirit and everything. And then the body, that's bad. And so I'm, I'm going to even push you, and I'm going to say this. Um, the Bible is extremely positive towards the body. The Bible is extremely positive towards sexuality. <gasps> yeah. Yeah, the Bible will make you extremely uncomfortable when it comes to uh, praising and making poems about romantic and sexual love within the context of marriage. And so when Paul says works of the flesh, he says sexual immorality, sensuality, impurity. Uh, this, this is not saying the body is bad, sex is bad. Though many Christians have interpreted it this way, um, this is actually something really good. So it's not that. The other thing I want you to see is when you look at the works of the flesh, um, the works of the flesh are religious as well as irreligious, okay? He says this, the works of the flesh are evident. So th this is kind of like, we're trying to understand what the flesh is, and one way we can do that is by seeing what the flesh produces, the actions, the attitudes that the flesh produces. And what you'll see here is um, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, that's all in the, relation, in the, in the realm of like sexuality, but then he says, idolatry, sorcery. Idolatry is pagan religious practice. Witchcraft, or sorcery, is using religious or spiritual means to, to get some kind of power over the universe, whatever it might be. And so these are religious. And then if you keep going, uh, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, these things are internal attitudes and then they come out in rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy. So what I would say is, um, when you look at the works of the flesh, if you want to find the works of the flesh, what's one place you can go? You can go to church. You hear me? It, like, so let me just ask you, have you ever experienced rivalry within the walls of the church? No, no, we would never, right? We would never compete to see who's better at piano within the walls of this church, right? Never, ever. On a worship team, you're leading youth retreat music. Some of you are going to youth retreat pretty soon. And we would never, ever compare which church has a better music team. Never, ever, right? When you look at church history, what do you see? You see strife. You see hatred between Christian churches. And in, back in the day, like, churches would kill each other over theology. That's works of the flesh. And so what I want you to see here is uh, it is not so simple as to say there are the good religious people who go to church and do all the right stuff, and then there are the bad irreligious people who never set foot inside the, the, the wall. It's like, you know, it's like you try to go into the building but then there's like a force and it like repulses you and you're like not able to enter like a vampire or something until someone says, oh, you, you may enter. And then the force field dissipates and you're able to get through. That's not what it's like. That's not what it's like. The works of the flesh um, are both possible to manifest in religious people and irreligious people. And one of the best arguments against God is the hypocrisy or the fleshliness the lack of love, the selfishness, the self-righteousness, self-centeredness, um, the hatred, the judgmentalism of religious people. You hear me? This is why many people leave the church. This is why many people hate Jesus and God because their view of God is drawn by people who say they're Christian but exhibit these works of the flesh. 
and you can kind of look at them. It's, we're not gonna do this today, but it's helpful to look through the individual words and try to see if you can actually understand what Paul is saying. And you have to take some time to do this, really. So um, there are a lot of things you can kind of get out of it, right? Where uh, if you look at the word for jealousy or enmity, um, uh, that those words, if you have that inner attitude of jealousy, it will create rivalries, right? You get me? If you exhibit the inner attitude of competitiveness, then you will compete and become rivals with other people in your life. And so if you want to love someone, you cannot go by the flesh. Let me use one more example to illustrate this. Um, and this is why I think it's so important to learn how to grow and to realize it's a struggle. Um, so uh, one of the most difficult times in a high school student's life is college acceptance and rejection letters. And one of the most tragic thing that happens is you realize very quickly, unless you get into, okay, even if you get into every single college that you wanted to, um, there, there is incredible tension between friend groups based on who got accepted and rejected into whatever college. And so what will almost inevitably happen is you will get rejected from a college you wanted to get into and your friends got accepted and then all of a sudden you become envious and you think to yourself, aren't I better than them? Didn't I do more, aren't my grades better? Um, or you're jealous where you're like, okay, I know, they're super talented, they're like, you know, president of speech and debate, you know, valedictorian, all that stuff, but I'm jealous. I wish I was as good as them, but I'm not, right? It is almost inevitable. And do you see what's happening when you exhibit this fruit, um, this works? Um, it is about you. You are not able to forget yourself and be happy for them because there's something in you that just keeps you from doing that. And so it's really humbling, right? You, you're not trying to do this, but it's the feelings come and you see them. And so this is something about the nature of the struggle, the desires of the flesh. Um, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. The word desire means over desire, okay? Um, what it means is it could be, an, and this is actually a key insight that I think is really important. There's a Christian counselor, uh, David Pallison, who talks about this insight. Uh, he basically says that often what really controls and damages our relationships is not a desire to do evil to people, but it's an over-desire for otherwise good things. I don't know if you got that, but it's really, really important. So let me use the college example. Is it bad to want to get into a good college? Absolutely not. But if you over-desire that so much and everything in your identity and life depends on those acceptance or rejection letters, you will not be able to be happy for your friend who got into Harvard. You will never be able to. You have to, you have to in a sense, qualify that desire by saying, look, it's not everything. It really isn't, you know? If you over-desire, if you make it into your identity, you will be crushed if you get rejected or you will be jealous and envious or, or you'll be self-righteous and think you're better than other people. If you get into all the colleges you wanted to, it's impossible for you to not be puffed up and say like, yeah, I earned this, I'm so great. It's impossible not to, it's not impossible, it's very difficult. So when, you, when it says you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, um, it's the flesh over-desires things and it produces these different results, okay? Let's keep going. Let's keep on looking at the struggle. Four, so Paul says, walk by the Spirit. This is how you love people. This is how you grow in love. And then right off the bat, he says, here is the struggle you are going to face the moment that you try to walk by the Spirit. Verse 17, the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. So now, this is the nature of the struggle, and this is actually very psychologically profound, but what Paul is saying is there are two tracks or there are two competing desires that you identify within you as a Christian, 
and they're leading in two different directions, right? Um, there is the desires of the flesh are against the spirit. So there is a conflict between the desires of the spirit and the desires of the flesh. They are opposed to each other, and what is the impact? They keep you from doing the things you want to do. So if you carefully read that, there are things you want to do, you have desires, and on a motivation level, you, like, you are motivated towards certain directions. As a Christian, uh, your desires and heart have been transformed by God to the point where you desire different things than you did before, but there is still this struggle where at any moment, as you're walking by the Spirit, you are choosing between these two paths. So let me use a dumb example. Um, I like horror movies, and I don't know if you guys are judging me for liking horror movies. I don't care. Um, there is a classic horror movie called, and I'm not recommending everyone watches horror movies, but I just do, okay? So there's a classic horror movie called Evil Dead 2, okay? So Evil Dead 2 is not a sequel to Evil Dead 1. Evil Dead 1 was an extremely low-budget movie that became unexpectedly popular. So the director, Sam Raimi, got a bunch more money, and he remade the same movie with a bigger budget. And so the Evil Dead 2 actually has a lot of extremely innovative, groundbreaking camera shots. It's extremely creative. And then Sam Raimi's blend of horror and comedy is very strange to experience. So he became, he became a legend in the industry. He directed Spider-Man 1, 2, 3 with Tobey Maguire. He directed Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, uh, one of the Marvel movies that came out recently. And in that movie, it's super weird, right? I don't know how many, how many of you have seen that one, Doctor Strange? It's super weird, right? Because the tone is wacky. On one hand, there'll be some kind of scary thing happening, but then they make a joke out of it. That's Sam Raimi. In Evil Dead 2, the main character named Ash, uh, he reads from the Necronomicon, and he raises up these like evil spirits. And then, the important thing is, his hand gets possessed by a demon. And so there's this huge long scene, and this was way back in the day, this was I think in the 70s or the 80s. Um, his hand is possessed by an evil spirit, and his hand starts trying to choke him. And so it's really funny, the actor Bruce Campbell's hilarious. So he's basically like, like he's trying to like hold back his hand, and then he's like, and then he's like you know, and, he, and it's just one actor just pretending like his hand is trying to choke him for like 15 minutes. It's a, it's a relatively long scene. And then eventually what he does, sorry, this is gory, gruesome, um, he uses a chainsaw and he cuts off the hand. And then the hand starts scrabbling along the floor and still chases after him. And so he like runs away and he slams the door and the hand is like banging against the door. This is a picture of what it looks like to struggle as a Christian. Because while you have these desires from the spirit of God to do good, to love people, there is another thing inside of you. It's not as easy as it is your body and you can cut off your hand to avoid this. It is something inside of you on the level of your desires and motivation and you see both paths. When you're tempted, when you're going through these struggles to love someone, you see two different paths. One of them is the way of the spirit. The other one is the way of the flesh. And the way of the flesh is expresses itself through sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife. Um, it's all about you. Um, it, you are willing to harm other people and even harm yourself rather than uh, walk by the way of the Spirit, okay? This is the struggle that we go through as Christians. And so as, as I'm saying this, um, if you are not a Christian or if you're really young as a Christian, I'm not sure you will have a lot of real experience with this, or you won't know how to identify when this is happening, but this is the struggle that we experience. So part of us wants to do what the Spirit wants to do, and the truest part of us wants to do that, and yet in this struggle, we often find ourselves going in the opposite direction along the way of the flesh, and so we produce these types of fruit, okay? So I want you to know this struggle is par for the course. I don't want you to be surprised when this happens. 
And I want you to know that this is the very realm that growth takes place in, okay? This is the very realm that growth takes place in. We have the freedom to choose one of these two tracks and growth in the Christian life is to be able to choose the way of the Spirit um, increasingly consistently and over time. And then as you choose the way of the Spirit, you will produce the fruit of the Spirit, which we'll talk about later on, okay? So this is normal, don't freak out. If you experience sometimes, this is, a, this is one way I would describe it, sometimes as a Christian, you are horrified by the thoughts that you see in your head, okay? A thought comes out of somewhere and you're like, whoa, that's crazy. I can't believe I just thought that. That is something of the struggle happening here, okay? You guys get me? This doesn't mean you're a terrible Christian. The other thing I want you to know is uh, this fight is a good fight, which means God is not uh, ashamed of you or surprised when you go through these types of struggles. And honestly, where Paul says in verse 19, if you are led by the Spirit, he's giving you a picture of what it looks like to walk, with, walk by the Spirit. If you are led by the Spirit, to follow the promptings of the Spirit, to do what is pleasing to the Spirit, he says, if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. What he's saying there is, the reason you do these things is not by the law. And we've talked, man, I know, guys, I know, this is... Um, you are not under the law, which means you are not being motivated by pressure, guilt, shame, coercion. The way you fight this struggle is not by using principles and laws and self-control and self-discipline and effort and saying, I'm going to fight against these bad desires. Because Paul never says, fight the works of the flesh, fight the flesh. He never says that. He says, instead, choose positively to walk by the Spirit. Okay, you guys get me? There, there's a th we think about like avoiding bad habits and resisting bad habits. And he's saying you don't do that by your effort, you do it by actively choosing God and his spirit. And so my dad uh, was preaching a couple weeks back, he said 90% of, of uh, 90% is just showing up, something like that, where 90% of the battle is showing up? Oh, okay. Oh, okay, got you, yeah. So what I would say is um, to be led by the Spirit, to walk by the Spirit is to be present with God, right? To be there and be aware of Him and seek to please Him. Now, right off the bat, if you, if you are honest, you will see how, number one, I often produce works of the flesh. Number two, I'm often not present with God as I go through my day because there are so many different things going on, right? And so one of the areas that the struggle happens is in the realm of our time and attention. And one of the ways that the devil uh, messes with us is ways that are, that it, it's just the, the, the way of least resistance, right? Where you just get caught up in your life, your busy life. We all are really busy. We all have so many different things going on, and you just follow what is most immediate and urgent, and what you'll find is you just, tons of time passes, and you'll never have thought about God one time. And I'm not saying that that's, you should feel bad about that. What I'm saying is I'm trying to help identify what it feels like and the experience of walking not by the Spirit, uh, but walking according to the flesh. Uh, this is a struggle. The other thing I would say is, um, I want to speak directly to some of you who might be in a specifically difficult struggle right now, where uh, if there is a lot of, like, sometimes you go through periods of time where you feel like uh, everything in you is, like, just total chaos. The devil is out to get you. What I, mean, what I mean by that is it feels like the devil is specifically targeting you and doing things to disrupt your efforts to grow in your Christian life and grow in holiness in your relationship with God. And if you're in that situation, uh, what I would say is, what would I say? <laughs> what I would say is, uh, don't give up. Because if, if you're fighting a battle and the fighting is really, really intense and difficult, it means that there's something good and important happening. 
It means that you have good desires, that you are seeking to follow God and seeking to be a disciple of Jesus, and that is the moment where the devil wants to discourage you and keep you from doing that, and so he's going to use all of his like clever little tactics to try to get you down and keep you from doing things. And so there's an old pastor who, would, who did a little test where he said, if you want to experience the struggle, one thing you can try to do is, he said, read the Bible and pray for 30 minutes a day for 30 days. Just do that. And I would say, if you want to experience a struggle, read the Bible and pray for 10 minutes a day for 30 days straight. What I'm saying is, if you do this out of a good desire to know God and talk to him and increase your awareness of God throughout your day, when you start to try to do this, you will experience this struggle. And it will be extremely difficult to do something so simple as read the Bible and pray for 10 minutes a day. And this is where we really need each other. We really need the encouragement from other believers. So this is where, if, again, if you're in that position where you're really struggling, share with someone, ask for prayer, uh, ask for encouragement, and then just try to keep going and persevere and show up, okay? This is the struggle. Let's keep on, uh, let's keep on going. The fight, as you struggle in this fight, will produce incredible fruit, okay? So why would you want to go along this track of following the Spirit as opposed to following the flesh? Because before we were saying, how do we become a good friend? How do we become a good spouse? By developing these qualities and these fruit. And so I'm going to read 22. The fruit of the Spirit is love, where, first of all, you have to develop a love for other people than yourself, right? If we're going to have good relationships, we need that. If we are completely narcissistic and self-focused, we will never be able to love other people well. Um, and, and, and as I'm saying this, I'm like, yeah, I'm thinking about myself. Joy. Uh, this is an inner state of happiness, contentment, whatever you want to call it. Um, if you're really, really happy with uh, the college you got into, you are able to, um, you have an inner buoyancy that allows you to be happy for your friend who got into a different college, right? You get me? Um, if you are extremely content in God and you are thinking constantly to him, I'm so grateful that I can know you and that you love me, that is an inner joy that is resistant to circumstances. And what I mean by that is, as you walk by the Spirit, you will increasingly have joy even when you're going through very difficult circumstances. And this is not like, this is not idealistic because there are some of you in this room, many of you, who have exhibited this fruit in your life as you go through extraordinarily tragic and difficult circumstances. When you walk by the Spirit, and as you do this over time, the fruit of joy will grow in your life. You will be happier, but it's a happiness that doesn't come from just getting everything that you want. It comes from God. Peace. If you're a very peaceful, tranquil person, uh, you will be able to be a better friend to people. I'll keep going. Patience. The word for patience is one of my favorite words in the Bible, and it means long-suffering. It doesn't mean like, oh, I don't get irritated easily. It means there is a person who is going through struggles or difficulty or might be irritating to you, and you are so committed to them, and you are able to bear irritation and suffering so that you can be a good friend to them. That is a really, really beautiful word, long-suffering. And that's a real challenge to many of us, where do we have the inner resources to suffer with someone not just for a day, not just until it's convenient for us, for a long time. And so this is really challenging. Uh, kindness is simply doing good towards other people, goodness. Faithfulness is like Uncle Chris, trustworthiness, someone who's dependable, who's not flaky, someone who people can rely on you. Gentleness, self-control. These are the fruit of the Spirit. As I read this list, I hope one thing you can get from it is you can say to yourself, these are really good words, and I really want to exhibit these characteristics in my life, right? The fruit of the Spirit. These are all beautiful words, and really it bears, um, 
it would be good for you to pay attention and think through each one of these words later on, because I can't get through it. Um, but let me get to the third point. So you go through the struggle. There's going to be a struggle. Two tracks, the flesh and the spirit. If you keep on going in the direction of the spirit, what will, is so incredible is you will bear this incredible, beautiful fruit. Um, and this happens in the context of suffering. And so one of the difficult decisions that we have to make is, as Christians, uh, would you rather live a comfortable life or would you rather become Christ-like? You hear me? Would you rather live a comfortable life? Would you rather your kids have a comfortable life or would you rather your kids become Christ-like? This is a very challenging question for me personally, like for Toby, right? Do I want Toby to have a comfortable life or for him to become Christ-like? That's where the rubber meets the road. For you, when you think about your Christian life, when you experience the struggle and suffering, do you say to yourself, like, oh, this, this isn't fair, or like, I, I'm just not gonna choose the spirit, or do you actually say to yourself, this is the very context in which God, as I go with the spirit, will develop these characteristics in me, okay? If you wanna grow in patience, you have to be around situations that are irritating to you and require patience, right? That's how the fruit develops. If you want to love, if you want to be faithful and dependable, you have to go through situations where it's costly for you to be faithful and difficult. And there's a part of you that just wants to peace out because it's easier that way. But then as you choose the way of the Spirit, you will increasingly and progressively, gradually over time, develop these characteristics. Um, and then finally, I just want to say, the Spirit, as we walk by the Spirit, produces Christ-like character. Uh, this is the main thing that I would want you to get away from this. Um, when we read the fruit of the Spirit, and even as I've been going over these fruit, there is a potential that I've just made you think about yourself and all the ways that you fail to exhibit these fruit. That is our core tendency when we come to this passage. But if you read very carefully... What is the fruit of the Spirit? The fruit of the Spirit is the character of Jesus Christ that the Spirit produced in him when he was on this earth. It is the very character of God towards you. And as you experience God acting in this way towards you, you will catch Jesus Christ's character. And this is totally crazy. Like, this is, I don't know, I don't know if, like, it took me years and years of years of singing this song, The Fruit of the Spirit, of reading the passage, like, for, for Kids Club in, in, like, Awana, you all sing the song, The Fruit of the Spirit. So I always knew the fruit. And every time I sang this song, I would just think to myself, oh, these are good attributes. And I sure want, I hope that I'm, like, loving and patient, all this stuff. But never once did I make the connection that this is a, simply a list of the character qualities that Jesus Christ exhibited when he was on the earth. And the, this is the character of God, and the character of God actually is communicated to you. What I mean is, you become like Christ as you walk by the Spirit, and the way this happens is you experience Christ's patience and long-suffering with you. When I constantly am walking in the flesh, Jesus doesn't say, I am done with you. This is too painful for me. I'm out of here. He says, you know what, I am infinitely more patient and infinitely more willing to bear suffering for your sake. I am a thousand times more patient with you than you are with yourself. And then when I, this was transformative to me, when I experienced and really understood the patience of God for me, because I am so slow to learn things, and I make the same mistakes over and over again, but the, the, epiphany, the transformation happened when every single time I walked in the wrong way, I would go to God and I would expect him to reject me. But every time he said, look, you are my son. I love you. Come, come back in. Enter into my joy. I forgive you. There is rejoicing in heaven for one sinner who repents. And so if you're struggling, if you're, if you're doing the works of the flesh, just know God is so infinitely patient towards you 
And the stuff you get from doing the flesh is not good. You don't even like it. If you look at this list, is that what you want your life to be characterized by? Absolutely not. But the way you change and grow is you have to know who Christ is. You have to know what he's like. And so there's one thing that happens. Your view of God will determine the, your real, true view of God reveals itself in the way you treat other people. If you are constantly anxious and you are controlling when you're doing stuff with other people, you're not a good team player, you're critical, what it means is you, you don't trust God. You don't trust that God is in control of things. You think it's all about what you do or what they do, and they're messing things up, and so you have to kick them into shape. You don't trust that even when you fail, even when they fail, even when you don't do anything. God is in control of things, and God redeems our failures and mistakes. Once you have that attitude, it's possible for you to be less anxious, isn't it? Because it doesn't rely on me. It's possible to be long-suffering with people when you experience Christ's long-suffering for you. Each one of these, the gentleness of God, I love this one. The gentleness of God is one of my other fam uh, favorite words. Uh, there's a passage where it says, a bruised reed, Jesus will not break. This is such a tender image where you, you guys know like on the, there's a pond and there are those reeds in the pond, little sticks, right? And they're really delicate. And so a lot of the times you just run into them and then all of a sudden they're like broken and they're like over at an angle or they flop all the way down. Jesus sees a bruised reed, someone who is in a very delicate and vulnerable position, and he binds up the reed. He uses a support structure and ties the reed to that so that the plant can continue to heal and grow. When he sees a bruised reed, he doesn't criticize the reed. He doesn't hurt the reed. He says, I'm going to be so gentle and tender in bringing you back to health. And now, here's the thing. When you sin and you fail, is that the voice you have inside yourself from God? Do you realize that that's the way that God sees you in that moment? Or do you think God is disappointed and angry and he's lost, he just can't handle you anymore? I think for many of you, you feel like God is angry with you when God is actually patient and gentle. And therefore, that's the way you treat other people. This is why religious people who misunderstand the nature of God will be judgmental and condemning and impatient and angry and irritable and self-righteous because they don't understand who God really is. The fruit of the Spirit are the attributes, the character of Christ. And then my encouragement to you is walk by the Spirit. How do you do this? Um, a lot of ways, but uh, what I would say to you is showing up is a good start. You know what, maybe I'll just ask Dan, maybe next week Dan can talk more about the rest of this passage. There's too much to get through. Um, but let me be really practical. Uh, what does it look like uh, to walk by the Spirit? How can you grow? And what I would say is um, just start by showing up in different areas that are helpful for you, okay? Find opportunities to meet with other Christians in ways that you can be encouraged and grow. So it could be a small group, it could be a Bible study, it could be adult Sunday school, 945, uh, it could be a church service. These structures can be good and helpful, but sometimes you need more like individual personal attention and discipleship where you're able to share your struggles with the flesh. And then you can say to people like, I'm really struggling, I feel like I have a target on my back, the devil's really messing with me, can you please pray for me and help me and encourage me? And then most importantly, can you preach the gospel to me that even though I fail, I am not condemned? And so what I would say to you is be vulnerable with someone you trust about your struggle, and this will be such a good, important step for you to grow. If you have never told anyone the areas that you most struggle in, it'll be very difficult for you to grow. And so, you know, talk to me, talk to Dan. Dan is really gentle. You can talk to him. He'll be nice to you. Um, I, I, I may or may not be nice. No, of course. Of course I'm going to be nice. Because, because, because I've experienced God's patience with me. And so, really, I'll be patient with you. 
Um, if you feel condemned, I'll tell you, it's not what you do that makes you righteous before God. It's what Jesus did. And therefore, believe the gospel and accept God's cleansing of you through Jesus Christ. And then our conversation will continue where it's like, if you need help actually changing and walking by the Spirit, there's more to do there. You can identify the, the way your flesh looks. You can take steps and do actions to try to grow in specific ways. But the most important thing is spend time with Jesus, know what he's like, experience his love and goodness for you, and you will be transformed. Your face will be changed and radiant as you behold him. And here's another challenge. If you are not growing in this area, then I would simply say to you, I don't care what you're doing for church. If you're not growing for, in this area, I don't care how gifted you are. If you're not growing in these areas, then you're simply not beholding Jesus personally. Walk by the Spirit. Spend time with him the way you would spend time with any other person. As you spend time with him, he will change you and transform you. As you experience his friendship and love for you, him laying his life down for you, you will be transformed to be Christ-like. And this is what will make an impact on the world. This is what gives credibility to the gospel and Christianity, Christians who are transformed and changed to be like Christ. If we aren't like Christ, don't believe in Christianity. That's what I would say. And so therefore, it is so important for us to be transformed to be like Jesus. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Let's pray. Dear Lord, uh, um, I pray you would help us know how to walk with you, to walk by your spirit. I pray you would be giving us the truth, uh, the discernment that we need to be transformed, to be like you. I pray you would encourage us if we're weary, if we're struggling. Um, we would know you truly as you are not as how we might think you are, and that would really change our lives and transform us. In Jesus' name, amen.